0: Welcome again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and I do appreciate you tuning in again today as we study the Word of God here on the program from week to week. I appreciate you tuning in, and as always, we invite you to get your Bible open and follow along uh, in the lesson today. This week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse 16 here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 16, and while you're turning there, uh, let me just uh, jump on my soapbox here for a minute. And get something off my chest. I, I always begin these programs by encouraging you to follow along in the scriptures. And let me just give you a little charge here before we get into today, to today's lesson. And uh, let me give you a little charge and tell you Christian people that are listening to me that you need to be reading your Bible on a regular basis. You ought to have a personal time every morning in the Word of God. Uh, you ought to be doing, therefore, individual devotions. And Daddy or uh, Mom, you need to be leading family devotions in the evenings, If there's a dad in the house, dad needs to oversee that. If mom is single and has children under her care, she needs to lead that family devotion. And preachers, listen to me. I'd like to challenge you to get back to preaching the unadulterated, pure words of God to your congregation. Put it on them. Lay on the, lay the challenges upon them. The Bible says what it means and means what it says. And our job as preachers is to declare that message. There is way too much foolishness. And uh playtime going on in the the house of God these days. We've long ago got away from the Word of God, and if you don't believe people don't uh, uh, read their Bible anymore, just try to have a biblical conversation with people. They have no idea what the Bible says. Do you know why? It's because they don't read it. The Scripture tells us back there in the Book of Isaiah, it says, "Seek ye out the Book of the Lord and read." Acts chapter seventeen commends people who search the Scriptures daily. And the Bible says we're to study that book. We're to study the uh, word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, listen, God has given us a great and a precious gift in this old King James Bible. And our duty as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to search its pages and to pour these words through our minds and get them into our hearts on a day-to-day basis. And you know something, preachers? You'll find out that you will attract the right crowd if you will feed them. That is what a pastor is called to do. He is told to feed the flock of God. Uh, Peter was told, Peter was an elder according to 1 Peter chapter 5. He was obviously a preacher. And the Lord Jesus Christ, after his resurrection three times, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep and so the the design of church is to feed the sheep. Uh, I will give uh, uh, I tell people this all the time. Someone's going to hear this and come up to me one day and say, "Okay, preacher, give me the money." I always say I'd give a hundred dollar bill to somebody who would be honest enough to ask the right questions when they come to join a church and say, "Do you believe the Bible here? Which Bible do you believe?" Can, is my family going to be preached to and taught the Word of God? How much emphasis do you place on the Bible? I would love to meet somebody like that. Most of the time, without, it, without failure, without fail, when I talk to someone and invite them to church, they ask questions like, well, preacher, what kind of music program do you have? Preacher, uh, what do you have for my kids? Can I tell you something? Those are, those are man-made checkpoints. America is, has come to the conclusion that church is here to cater to their whims. They look at church as... Uh, they're, they're looking at their options for church as though they were looking for a place of entertainment. I'm here to declare plainly and without, uh, without apology that the house of God, the local church is not a theater, it is not a place of entertainment, it is not a place of a social club or a social gathering, but rather it is the pillar and ground of the truth. The Church of the Living God is designed to be a place where the people of God come in to get fueled up and then go out and do the work of God throughout the week. And the great thing that needs to be built, that church needs to be built upon, is the preaching and teaching of the pure words of God. The Bible still says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And listen without faith it is impossible to please him well since faith is directly connected to the hearing of the word of god brethren we need to be sure our churches are loaded down with the scriptures because that's the only thing that's going to create faith that's the only thing that's going to uh that god is going to honor his faith and listen we need to get back to the book and uh, there is a dearth of biblical preaching there is a dearth of biblical knowledge among Christians in America, and until this changes, there will be no revival. There will be no turning to God. We need to put the emphasis back on what it uh, what brought us here. We need to dance with the one that brought us, as they say. And I'm telling you what made strong churches and brought revival in years past was the plain exposition of the words of God. And so, uh, amen. That's my soapbox. I better get on with the lesson this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 11. And uh, I want to look uh, today and expound a few things here from the scriptures uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the greatest preacher that ever lived. Uh, There was certainly, I doubt anyone would argue with me, that Jesus Christ was the greatest preacher that ever lived. Uh, He preached as one having authority and not as the scribes. And here we find him preaching to a very large crowd of people. If you go back uh, to the beginning of the chapter, what sparked uh, the idea and the thoughts that he preached here uh, came from two disciples of John the Baptists. Uh, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus, and they asked him at the beginning of this chapter, art thou he, or look we for another? And of course, he sent an answer back to John, but there was a very large crowd, both of disciples, believers, and unbelievers that were around the Lord Jesus at that time. And the Lord took this opportunity to scald his hearers and to rebuke their unbelief. They had not believed John's preaching. They were currently in the process of rejecting the Lord's preaching. And so Jesus Christ is preaching a message here directly to them. Look at verse 16. Let's pick up his sermon there in the 16th verse. Jesus preaching and he says, "...but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets." And calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. And so Jesus Christ, talking to these unbelievers who had rejected John the Baptist preaching and were rejecting his, he likens them to children. And uh, he goes on to say this, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. So they accused John of having a devil simply because he would not do as they wanted him to do. He was too uptight. He was too strict. John would be called the legalist. He's the guy that preaches, you know, you don't need to be drinking. You don't need to be doing this. And he begins to lay down the law. And the Bible says that these people who had rejected him had rejected the counsel of God against themselves. And it's the same today. People hear preaching that's too hot for them to handle, and so they go out and say, well, that preacher's a legalist. He has a devil. I'm not going to listen to that sort of thing. Well, if that's what you do, Jesus Christ says you're like a little kid. Because the bottom line is you really don't have a problem with the preacher. You have a problem with what was preached. Because you're unwilling to submit to it and to repent and to amend your ways. Well, then look here, verse 19, he says, The Son of Man, referring to himself, he says in verse 19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So Jesus Christ wasn't fasting all the time, and he often can be found seated in someone's home. We read in Luke 5 where he went into and had a fellowship meal at Levi's house with a lot of people. We find him uh, in the Simon the Pharisee's house in Luke chapter 7, sitting down to eat. And they, it says here, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's what they say, Behold a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So Jesus says, okay, you wouldn't handle John's preaching. You rejected the truth that John preached, and you pretended it was because John was too strict and he had a devil. And then someone who came preaching the truth Came, uh, with a different kind of a personality. Jesus Christ didn't come fasting. Uh, he came fellowshipping and eating and drinking here with his, uh, with these sinners. And they say, well, this guy's a drunk and a glutton. And so the point is this. Here's why they were children. They couldn't be pleased. And so the bottom line is they really didn't have a problem with John or Jesus. There's an underlying issue here, and it's an issue called the truth. You need to mark this down because some of you, if you're a Baptist, you know this. People, Baptist people are known for this. Uh, they'll be in one church for a while until it gets a little too hot, and then they'll go somewhere else. And then, of course, the inevitable meeting in the aisles of Walmart will take place. Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? In other words, you have a family in your church for a year. They come there, and then something uh, goes awry and they're gone, and so uh, the pastor, you know, is trying to do damage control with the church and all these things. And so you as a church member, you're out sometime at a grocery store, you're at Kroger, you're at Walmart, and all of a sudden you see the family that's no longer coming to your church. And so you make small talk for five minutes, and then uh, begins their explanation of why they're no longer coming there. And, of course, it's never because, well, there's some stuff preached there that I'm just, uh, it's uh, you know... Is too hot for me to, to handle. I can't handle that kind of preaching because I'm not going to do anything about it, and it's it's very convicting and my conscience bothers me. And I, nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, you know, I just don't want to get right with God because I'm a rebel. Nobody ever says, well, you know, I enjoy the 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 level of Christianity that I'm at, and I don't want to be challenged to grow and to do more for Jesus. I, you know, what I just got tired of, of all of that because I felt so bad because I just absolutely rejected the counsel of God against myself. No, nobody ever says that, but instead they begin to talk about the preachers. And listen, be wise in this thing. I'm not saying that preachers are squeaky clean. We've all heard about preachers who mishandle themselves, that do some kind of wicked thing, but for the most part, preachers are trying to be a blessing. And if it's a real man of God that's been called of God, he is simply trying to... Uh, feed the flock of God that the Lord has put him over. He is simply trying to deliver the message and to challenge you to come up higher. That's what a, pre- a real preacher does, and he's going to spare no—he's going to spare no truth in order to save your feelings. He's going to simply throw it out there, and uh, you either receive it or reject it. But listen, when people begin to complain, uh, just like these men. Of Jesus' day, that generation, he said, What shall I liken the men of this generation? They're like children because they couldn't control either one. They couldn't control John the Baptist. They couldn't control Jesus Christ. And they couldn't stand that truth that was being uh, fired out at them. So they accused John of having a devil. They accused Jesus Christ of being a glutton and a drunk. And none of the charges were accurate. They are liars. They were simply covering up for a bad conscience. And that's what mostly happens when people leave certain churches. They leave because they know that uh, they can't handle any more of what they've been hearing. Amen. That's, That's what Jesus Christ is pointing out. And that's good for you to know that because you'll understand the next time that you hear somebody running a preacher down, chances are they're telling on themselves. That preacher probably made them uncomfortable with some truth that he preaches. And so that's what Jesus Christ is pointing out. And on the heels of this, notice what he opens up in verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Listen, when God gives you truth, it always comes with a responsibility. And so Jesus Christ here says, listen, I've been preaching, I've been proving myself in these cities, and he begins to upbraid them. That's the Jesus Christ of the Bible, by the way. Uh, Listen, I I still preach the Jesus Christ of this old book. Don't be deceived, Christian friend. Don't be deceived or blown off off the trail by these false Jesuses. Now you say, what do you mean by a false Jesus? Okay, let me get real plain. The Kingdom Hall here in Danville, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Russellites, they preach another Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible tells us there that even during Paul's day there was, quote, Another Jesus being preached. There was, quote, another gospel. There was, quote, another spirit, unquote. Jesus Christ said, there shall be many shall come in my name. Many, many, many. They were warning us back 2,000 years ago, and certainly now in the day and age we live, there are plenty of false Jesuses. The Jesus Christ of the Jehovah's Witness is not the Jesus Christ of this Bible. You say, well, can you prove that? Absolutely. Ask them next time if they believe that Jesus Christ, the one that they're talking about, is the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, and they will tell you no. They'll tell you that Jesus was simply a created God, little g, and that he was nothing but a servant of Jehovah. I got news for you. That's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And right here we meet the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Even some born-again believers, some true Christians, struggle with the Jesus of the Bible. Do you know why? Because, again, they're not reading their Bible, and they're watching more movies about Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. We need to get out from underneath uh, this load of technology that the devil has thrown on our backs. Christian friend... Let me pause right here and challenge you and make a charge to you. Get out from in front of that video screen. Get out from behind your computer screen. Get off the Internet. Shut down your Facebook account. Quit Googling all of your questions, uh, talking to more people who uh, don't know any more than you do, and shut your phone off and get alone with God and open a Bible and begin to seek God. When you seek Him with all your heart, that's when He'll be found of you. Amen. And uh, I'm just saying that uh, a lot of Christians don't even know who Jesus Christ is. The Jesus Christ of the Bible died for our sins. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree, was buried, and rose the third day physically from the dead. And that same Jesus, who was full of love and compassion, also could uh, put together a, a, a cord and make a whip out of cords and drive the money changers out of the temple and knock their tables over. That same Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is the one that could go into a synagogue and when he was about to minister to somebody who had a withered hand and realized that some of the religious uh, starchy Pharisees were standing around there watching him to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath, it made him angry enough to the Bible says he looked round about on them with anger. That's what it says. That's the Jesus Christ of the Bible. That's the one. And right here it says in verse 20, Then began he to, quote, upbraid the cities. You know what upbraid means? It means he preached the hide off of them. He preached and he upbraided them. He came in there swinging the sword. And listen, he spared nobody. It says here that he preached to these cities because the, the places that he had done the most mighty works, they had not repented. And he says these words, verse 21, as he continues his discourse. He says, woe unto thee. Well, you better stop when God begins to declare woes unto people. He says, woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Two cities. These are cities where they had seen the works of Jesus Christ. They had seen him perform miracles and they had heard his preaching. But as a whole, those cities had not repented. And he says, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, look at it, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Boy, here's a great truth. This tells me, you know, I hear some people that uh, get hung up on hyper and ultra-Calvinistic system theology, systematic theology. Now, nothing wrong with systematic theology, but some people get a hold of a few grains of truth that John Calvin preached, and they go to seed on it and begin to adjust their entire view of the Bible to Calvin's eternal decrees. And so they'll say, well, you know, if God decreed and foreordained and predestinated you to be saved, you will be. And if you're not foreordained and predestinated and chosen from the foundation of the world, then you can't be saved, and doesn't matter what you do, you couldn't repent anyway. Well, there's a problem. Because right here, Jesus Christ said, these cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida, he tells them that Tyre and Sidon, those are Old Testament, wicked Old Testament cities, he says they would have repented. Did you see that? Now, they didn't repent in their day, and they uh, those cities were damned. Those cities went to hell. But Jesus Christ said if they had had the truth and the light that had been presented to Chorazin and Bethsaida, they would have repented. How about that? So I guess that God didn't eternally decree them to hell. Uh, they simply rejected the light that they had and therefore faced the consequences uh, at the judgment. And here he says, listen, you've been given a lot, a lot of truth and a lot of light, which teaches us a great second lesson. And that is truth and light from the word of God creates responsibility. They had a responsibility to repent. They had a responsibility to receive Christ as the Messiah because he had proven himself. And they had not repented and therefore they had rejected more light. And light rejected becomes lightning, as they say. You say, what happens to people who reject a lot of light? Well, look at verse 22. Look what he says. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Oh, my. Another great truth. This means that there, even in damnation, there are degrees of punishment, which makes perfect sense when you consider how faithful and fair and just a holy God we have. The Bible, the, the God of this Bible is holy. He is just and He is fair. And every transgression will be dealt with fairly. And part of the determining factor is the amount of light and truth that was presented to the person at the judgment. According to Jesus Christ, the great white throne last day judgment will be easier to handle for Tyre and Sidon. They won't get as bad of a punishment Although they're damned, and although they will be punished, their punishment will be more tolerable than the punishment that Chorazin and the Sayada receive. Why? They receive a worse punishment because they rejected more light. Now let me just stop right here and point something out to some of you that listen to me on a regular basis. You don't come to our church, but you listen. Are you saved? Have you... Thrown down all your excuses, and approached God through the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary, having received Him as your Savior, have you done that? Because if you haven't, don't sit there and think that. Well, you know, I I'm, I'm I believe, brother, but I'm just I just ain't ready. I'm, I'm gonna wait till one day. No, listen to me. Every time that God allows you to hear a message like the one you're hearing right now, every time you find a gospel booklet or a gospel track. Every time you hear a radio broadcast that explains the way of salvation and you simply neglect it or ignore it, you heap more damnation coals upon your head. Because it matters not whether you just simply ignore it for another day or whether you maliciously mock it and reject it. If you do not respond to the gospel when God presents it to you, Then when you die in your sins and you're sure to do so one day because you just think you have another day. That Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. And every time you reject Jesus Christ out of hand, every time you hear the truth and reject him, what you're actually doing is you're saying, well, I've still got more time. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Quit boasting that you're going to have tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. You may be dead before the sun goes down today. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Listen, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now. Now is the day of salvation. God's offering you life now. Don't turn it away. Let me ask you a question, those of you who continually uh, travel on in your unbelief, having heard messages like the one you're hearing today. What do you think you'll gain by living one more day in your sin? Can you explain that to me? God offers you a free and full pardon for every sin you've ever committed. He offers you eternal life as a gift. That Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He proved it to you because he died on the cross. And bore your sins in his own body on the tree. That Bible says, For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That Bible says that God hath made him to be sin who knew no sin. Uh, he, He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen, that is the truth. That is true whether you believe it or not. The question is, Will you believe it and pass from death to life? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Why? Because he hath made peace through the blood of his cross. Your sins have been paid for. Will you come to the one who paid for him and receive him? And if you receive him, you're receiving life. And every time you hear this invitation, every time you hear the truth and reject it, You heap more damnation upon yourself. You know why? Because God has given you a responsibility. When you're given truth, when you're given light, you are told to respond to it. And if you do not respond by repenting and trusting Jesus Christ, when you die in your sins, you're going to face more damnation. That's what it says here. Look at verse 23. Jesus is still preaching and he says, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, whoa my, look at this, it would have remained until this day. Do you understand what he just said? He said that had the works and the light, the truth that the city of Capernaum had seen in Jesus Christ, Had that same amount of light and truth been given to the land of Sodom, God would not have rained fire and brimstone down on those people in Genesis 19. It means that some of them would have gotten right. enough. All they needed to have was ten righteous in that city. And that means that there would have been... Enough get right with God that God would have held himself to his promise to Abraham that if Abraham could have found ten righteous, he would have spared the city. Obviously, they couldn't find ten righteous. Perversion and sin had completely corrupted and blinded the minds of those ignorant perverts in the land of Sodom. And because they didn't repent, God got Lot and his wife and two daughters out of there, and he rained fire and brimstone down on the land of Sodom. And Jesus Christ said, "If the light that Capernaum had 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 been shown in the land of Sodom, they would have remained unto this day. Some people would have gotten right." And so he goes on to say the same truth that he had told the cities of Caesarea and Bethsaida He said, "But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee." What am I saying, friend? If you live in America, you've been given a lot of light. If you're listening to this broadcast, I've tried to shine the light. I've tried to tell you the truth as it's found in Jesus. If you live in America, you live in Kentucky, you can listen to Christian Radio there's gospel music all around. There's a church on every corner. You hear the church bells ringing. You find gospel tracks hidden around and stuck around in public places. You see public preachers. Maybe you've had someone come to your door. There's Bibles in every dollar store and Walmart from here uh, to Canada. Listen, there's a lot of light in America, and there's been a lot of light for you. And if you go on rejecting it, my friend, you're going to face a rougher, harsher judgment than somebody else who didn't have the light that you had. Now you say, man, that's a that's depressing. Well, here's the good news. Jesus Christ, who is preaching this message and upbraiding these cities, closes it out with the sweetest invitation found anywhere in the Bible because he goes on to preach these words to these same people that he's been upbraiding. He says, with all the compassion and love of the Savior, in verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he invites, he still, even with that kind of rejection, even with the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, rejecting the truth like they had. Even with that, he still bids men to come and he invites them individually. Do you hear his voice calling you now? Come unto me, all ye that labor. Are you laboring? Do you have a, a heavy laden heart? I'm telling you, unforgiven sin creates the heaviest burden on the heart that it can be. Guilt is a terrible burden to bear through this life. It's laborious. It's painful to carry that. All oh, but Jesus said, Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. He died for you, and he will receive you. He said, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. By faith, my friend, quit turning from Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Will you turn to the Savior of sinners? Admit that you have nothing to pay with. Admit you have nothing good about you, but that you want to be forgiven and you want the sin stains washed away. And I'm telling you, if you'll go to him that way, he'll receive you. Come unto me, Jesus said. We sing that old song that says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. Look to him today. May God help you to respond to this sweet invitation of our Savior. Remember what he says. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Here's the promise, I will give you rest. May God help you to do that today.